1: Keep the music flowing. We'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media.
0: The vagaries of age. I lived through the golden era of rock and roll, and I got a fake joints to show it.
1: Consequence Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for making your way here, for checking out the episode. Uh, please hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all the episodes that we put out. Three brand new ones every single week. A new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to keep you up to date on your favorite artists. And discover the new ones. You can grab us at Spotify, Apple Podcast, NPR, WFBK.org. Consequence YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from, you can subscribe to Kyle Meredith With. Don't forget to also uh, give the show a rating, leave a review if you're so inspired. It does so much help with a little podcast like this. Uh, we've had some great guests on lately, including, uh, let's see here, MGMT dropped by. John Malkovich was here to talk about the show The New Look on Apple TV+. Plus, Paloma Faith and her new record, Kula Shaker, Slow Pulp. Daryl J. Johnson from, uh, from uh, Drunk History and Punked. We had uh, Aldous Hodge, who talked about the movie Marmalade. Mary Timoney of XX was here. Natalie Morales uh, discussing self-reliance with Jake Johnson. Director of uh, Argyle, Matthew Vaughn, also part of the series. Just an example of what you get when you subscribe to the Kyle Meredith With podcast. That's me, Kyle Mayer, today talking with author Nadine Condon about her book, Confessions, Stories to Rock Your Soul. It's a a memoir of her time as a publicist for Jefferson Starship, and later Starship, and her adventures and and misadventures through the music industry. Uh, First from the the post-hippie late 70s, then into the decadent 80s, into the uh, new discovery of the 90s. Nadine's going to discuss her journey from growing up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, right where I'm based, and seeing uh, The Doors and Janis Joplin live to making her way out west and falling in with The Grateful Dead and the second chapter of Jefferson Airplane. Uh, She'll talk about uh, getting her first job with the band the day they released the song Jane, the very day and then seeing the band transition into Starship and the protection she felt for uh, Grace Slick around that time, uh, along with the uh, general disregard for women artists and their lack of protection. Uh, Nadine's also going to dig into her time helping launch the early careers of Beyoncé, Counting Crows, and Third Eye Blind uh, with the showcases that she would put on during that decade and why she eventually left the music industry forever. All that and more, we're talking confessions, stories to rock your soul, it's Kyle Meredith with Nadine Condon. Kyle, oh, nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. First off, uh, of course, I'm going to say how much I love this book. Uh, we have a mutual friend with uh, J.K. McKnight. Uh, started the Forecastle Festival here in Louisville, and uh, passed me the book, and uh, I just, you know, because if you're a music nerd or any kind of level of music lover. Getting the stories of these and the stories that you've collected over your career, I mean, this is what some of us live for, and you lived it.
0: Yes, I did. And it was such an exciting part of my life. I spent 30 years uh, working with mainly San Francisco bands and then bands outside of San Francisco. But I grew up in San Francisco. I got here in 1975, and I jumped into the music scene. And I got to see all the greats and all the greats that passed through. I mean, besides Jefferson Airplane and the Great One Dead, Quicksilver Messenger Service, uh, Nick Rabinaitis, Big Brother. Uh, and through that, I met people like Paul Butterfield and Maria Muldar. And I helped. I used to pay Huey Lewis $10 a night to sit in and jam with the bands I was booking. And then you go into the eighties and I was working with the Jefferson Starship then and was the Starship Huey, Journey, Faith No More, green day came along in the 90s and then i started my own music festival which was a time there weren't many music festivals
1: and it's just an incredible it's it's an incredible life and career but and the way the stories tell it i do want to back up a little bit because uh, of course i'm here in louisville originally you're from louisville
0: i am a louisville native and i'm a proud louisville native and i grew up with the kentucky derby and my father and mother were very involved in the beginnings of the Kentucky Derby Festival, I went to local Catholic girls' schools, and I always love Louisville will always be my hometown
1: hearing uh you know you you and I were talking uh a few weeks ago and and you were even mentioning some of the shows like so it's before you get out, and this was you had to you know back in the day when you had to wait for things to come to you or you had to get in the car. I don't know what kind of town Louisville was, but hearing about, I mean, Janice, the Doors.
0: You know, it was definitely on the map. You know, back in the olden days, the promoters were all local. So it gave really concerts a very regional feel. But when I was a senior in high school in 1969, but this is actually 1968, I saw The Doors uh, with um, with Steppenwolf at Freedom Hall. And then I saw the Summer 69. I saw Janice with her full tilt boogie band, but, you know, just a few months before she died. And she was actually getting her band in shape to record uh, her Pearl album. So and then I saw The Grateful Dead, 1974, The Wall of Sound.
1: Now, now I, I have, you know, obvious question here, seeing Janice... Seeing the doors and, and to a degree, seeing the dead. Like, what was that experience for you? Like I have seen a photograph of, of Jim in Freedom Hall, Jim Morrison in Freedom Hall that day. There's one that floats, I don't know who took it, but uh like where were they, you know, in, in their career as far as that live show?
0: Well, I thought that the the doors, it was more the experience of seeing this iconic band. I can't even tell you about the music. OK, because it was just being there. And with Janice, she was phenomenal. She was, you know, was the first I had really seen her with her feathers and like dress like a peacock. And the band was so tight. And that music was fantastic. But what those concerts did for me, they were a siren call. I wanted to be with people like this. I wanted to be with this kind of creativity and this kind of energy and also the lifestyle. You know, it was so um, diametrically opposite of how we were growing up in Louisville uh, that it was uh, like irresistible to me.
1: And that's it says a lot because a lot of people, most people get swept up in some form of the fun of celebrity. You know, oh, I'd be fun. Oh, I'd be fun to be best friends with so and so. But then there's the person who actually takes the leap. There's the person who actually goes and says, I've got to figure out how to be a part of this circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that happen for you? Why and, and and to a degree, like why?
0: Well, you know, it was really interesting. I never really wanted to be with the stars. I was so fascinated by what happened behind the scenes Mm -hmm. i wanted to know the power behind these artists how did they get on stage how did they make their i mean who brought all this together who was stirring this too so i always wanted to meet the people the managers the producers and that's how i met uh nick Gravenitis, who many people don't know now, but he was a founding member of Electric Flag, and he wrote Paul Butterfield's first hit, Born in Chicago. And then he also um, wrote and produced for Janus, uh, the Quicksilver Rockers, Brewer and Shipley, One Took Over the Line, Sweet Jesus was him, Pure Prairie League, I'll Change Your Flat Tire Merle, and Nick was this, um, had worked with, and I met him in North Beach, was was but still the locust, the cauldron of artistic life in San Francisco, even though it was the 70s, you still have the remnants of the beats. And in North Beach is where Yorma uh, Kalkinen was backing up Janice on acoustic guitar. So it was still, you know, the hot spot.
1: And we'll be right back right after this. Shout out to uh, Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I, I live in Kentucky P R O That's A S T E P R O allergy.com. Astapro and go use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Nadine Condon. And, 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 you know, just thinking about your book. So you leave Louisville, you go to Boston, you're there for a second. Then of course you make your way to the West coast to, to San Francisco, to Berkeley. And this is what, second generation counterculture by this point? It
0: definitely was. Sec- it's not 60s. The 70s is overlooked by people because I really think that's when so many of the ideals of the 60s got really put into play. I mean, so many kids from the Midwest moved to San Francisco to be part of what they perceived in the 60s. But we all lived the 60s in the 70s. You know, so we're everything. And by the 70s, like if you just look at the Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship, Starship, Jefferson Airplane, which I saw in a free concert in 1975, I also saw them in 72 in St. Louis. But they were still, you know, they were psychedelic. San Francisco created a new sound along with these other psychedelic jam bands. When they moved into the 70s, the first Jefferson Starship, they were like the romantic 70s era. Really with me, with uh, Marty Ballon singing like most of the hit songs, Miracles, Count on Me, and Grace weaving in and out and around him. You know, she wasn't doing wasn't writing somebody to love and singing that then. And then when you moved into the mid eighties and it became Starship, that too was reflective of the times because this was a band that always, you could see where they were in a time capsule of what was going on in the culture. And they were way more pop and MTV oriented.
1: Yeah, but uh, they got a lot of flack for it. And especially for one song in particular, which uh, I've never had, uh, uh, any kind of distaste for "We Built the City"? I think it's one of the greatest pop pop rock songs ever written. But um, and of course, my son loved it when he was coming up too, so that helped. But it really did say a lot about that band that I don't think as the stuff that you said is the stuff that they get credit for. That they were always perfectly in sync and in tune with the time that they were in.
0: I don't think they get enough credit because really, if you think about it, at the time that they were performing in the eighties. So that's 30 years, let's say, from 65, 66 to 86, 87, 88. There was no other American band then outside of the dead that were doing that. There weren't even that many English bands except the Rolling Stones and the Who, which, you know, that type of thing. So I've always liked to think that people choose their decade of that band of what songs affect them. When they were growing up, because I was singing somebody to love, uh, you know, when I was in high school and then I was singing, you know, miracles uh, when I was in San Francisco in 75 and 78. I was like, and then, but I also had other 70s records like Bob Dylan's Hurricane. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. Boxer, I had the 45. And then, so when I went to work for them, I was already a bona fide ba- uh, fan, and that really made a lot of difference, because I loved every single thing they did.
1: Now, you became part of their team the day Jane got what? released. Is that right?
0: I was part of the uh, management team and I went to work for them the day that Jane was released with Mickey Thomas as the new lead singer. And Grace was not on that record. We had a new drummer, Ansley Dunbar who had come from, Journey, but had also played with ansley dunbar's retaliation he's an old english player from the english invasion days and so it was very exciting and i went on my first road trip first class with limos like two months after i started. not even two months after i started what a way to
1: get spoiled right there it's going to be like got- this forever
0: and, you know, Kyle, it was so crazy because I had this beat up old Volkswagen that I parked in the airport parking lot that, you know, kind of barely got me to the airport. <laughs> and then I walk into first class. It was really fun. Um,
1: how much do you remember about Jane Hitting and, and what the atmosphere was like about that time? Because of, of all of the, um, uh, you know, uh, Jefferson Starship era, like there were songs, you know, Miracle and all those before it, but there's something about that one that has seemed to have lasted well beyond the others?
0: Well, I think it's just a really good song. Jane is a really well-written song. It has, you know, good melody and good harmonies. And it was really written, David Freiberg wrote it about his ex-wife, Julia uh, Bridgton. And uh, so... It was just, you know, that was that record, Freedom at Point Zero, I think is a very undersold record. It did, you know, sold fine, went plant and whatever, but it had so many, it was, this was another new nucleus. You know, Paul Kantner, who was really the captain of the ship, always was going to be moving forward he was never going to rest on his laurels he was always looking for the future looking for the future and that was a great you know they were all new nobody knew mickey nobody knew ainsley pete uh sears and david freiberg were the backbone of the band with the creativity in the both playing bass and keyboards Craig kreikisa had come into his own as a guitar player, you know, we didn't have Van Halen then. We didn't have those people. Craig was really stood on his own. So it was a great transitional record. I think really one of their best records. You know, I feel like it's one of their best records because I was there for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I to say I've had Friberg Garden here before, and um, he really is to me, like, People know him, but he still seems to be one of the unsung heroes of rock and roll.
0: Completely under the radar. Completely under the radar. And when I started working with the band, you know, Grace wasn't with him, But then she came back to the band two years later. And so I had a good eight to ten years working with her. And that was a complete trip because I had heard so much about her and how wild she had been. And when I was working with her was actually during her sober years. And she's since been sober for quite a while, but uh, she went on and off. And like many people do, it's very common when you have those types of ad- addiction. So, um, and she was always, um, people always wanna know what it, what was it like working with this icon? I mean, this is an icon, that voice was the siren, wasn't that the siren call directly to San Francisco, but she was always so professional and so inquisitive and uh, just always a team player.
1: That's really nice to hear, and that's it's you're talking about. You know, especially how much booze was a part of the game back then. Uh, I, I think I was, it was. I had Ann Wilson on here, and we were talking about that and sex. It was booze and sex, and how you know the perception, how we look at it, how we talk about it, how it what you know has changed over the years. And, she, and she, you know, with her, it was like it was just part of the game then. That was just it what was, we did.
0: and there was also no real um, consideration for woman artist at the time. She had to go along together. I mean, she was one of the guys, you know, and so she didn't get a lot of protection. Like, if you can imagine Taylor Swift, fans running up to Taylor Swift. Well, Grace was the Taylor Swift of her day. And fans crowded her constantly. When I was on the road, I would keep my hotel room door open so I could hear if she wanted to go get cigarettes or come down and buy something to uh, get soda or something. And I would walk with her because she would always be accosted. And so I could see, and I write about this in my book. I mean, I write a lot, I know I have a chapter devoted just to grace uh, to show people another side of what artists are like. You know, but what I write about is that I saw people constantly wanting something for her, wanting her time, her attention, her energy, a look, a touch, all of that. And you can imagine how draining. I always say I would be driven to drink myself. But at the time that I worked with her, sex and drugs were in the past. She was happily married to her second husband. And I was into sex and drugs, and I thought, she is so boring. How could this woman that was like, changed the generation, be so boring? <laughs> she <laughs> had paid her dues.
1: And she says, just waits. Well, we all become boring at some point? Will we
0: all get there?
1: <laughs> and we'll be right back, right after this. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Nadine Condon. It is interesting, especially when, when you've got so much to look back on that you can see those moments, those learning moments, like uh, uh, Commander Cody and seeing Commander Cody in one of the valleys, you know, in the valley of his career at that point. Like, what do you learn about careers and, and trajectories? This
0: is such a great question, because I learned early on with Nick Graveninas, 1978, that there is the ebb and flow of celebrity because he was a perfect example. Nick was huge right before I met him. He uh, wrote uh, the Pearl song Buried Alive in the Blues, which Janice was going to sing the next day. That was on the Pearl record. He had these successful albums like Electric Flag and Big Brother. They had made a lot of money. He was managed by Albert Grossman, the big poobah in Woodstock that managed the band and dylan and all these people and when i met him he'd kind of retired to a life of like uh oh like uh you know just with his white mercedes and he just gave advice to all the up-and-coming musicians and then he wanted to work some more and it changed for him people you know where was his last hit Okay. And I saw this in members of Quicksilver, John Cipollina, members of the the um the uh guys that were in Big Brother, you know, uh Country Joe. These things by the end of the 70s, they were no longer popular. And radio and the buying public had, had moved on. In fact, the members of all these old of those bands I mentioned got together and um Called uh, formed a band called the Dinosaurs, because all the new music, which late 70s, think about the Clash was already happening today, were all this old music was called Dinosaurs. So I saw early, very early on that fame does not last. And so you want to do things like write good songs and keep the publishing and make good business decisions, which musicians never do. So there
1: you go. <laughs> That comes in handy later on once we get into the 90s. Before we get there, just hearing also about how those transitional moments, I mean, you were there in that transitional point between Jefferson Starship and Starship from the 70s to the 80s. Was it very noticeable as a transitional point, as it seems now in history?
0: No, no, it wasn't. But being in San Francisco, it was, we were aware of it because in the until the 2000s, San Francisco was still a very viable music town. I mean, new bands all the time, cheap rehearsal space, cheap places to live. And until tech came in, you know, there you go. So, um, but, so there was a lot of alternative music in the city, 415 records, uh, just a lot of, as I said, punk bands were coming and coming through town, but we, the established bands we're not aware or concerned about it because we still ruled radio. And that meant everything in the eighties radio. If you got radio or played, then you were a successful band. If you did not get radio or played, you were not a successful band. Now, you know, radio is just one form of an entertainment stream of music. So then it was the only form.
1: So that's it. So when, when the nineties arrive and starship, and the crew, they're not getting that same airplay anymore. That's
0: exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and you know, the, just things change. People move on. The band kept changing members. And it's one thing to change members if they all come from a very similar background. Mickey Thomas had songs Fooled Around and Fell in Love with Alvin. Ainsley had been on Big Journey Records. But when you get sidemen that come in that aren't well-known, that nobody knows them, the attraction is gone. I I say that today, with so many old—I mean, oldies bands out there touring with one member, I do um, not—I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm happy that they still have a revenue stream because I know that they need it. Because so many of these bands, the only people that got money were the songwriters on a continuing basis, and that band members got money from touring and for appearing on the record. But that's uh, not—that's not going to sustain you for your whole life. 10 years okay you might have a good 10 years
1: yeah that's when i never even you know i'm thinking of bands in the past 25 years that are now seeing that you know like uh yeah, smashing pumpkins stone devil pilots all of those bands how they've different singers or different guitar you know whatever it is and people it's not the same band and i'm like it's fine it's yeah. uh, these guys these guys were part of writing these songs the, they they have ownership of this in some way That's exactly right And there is something
0: to be said now that, that we uh, us boomers are all now booming in our 60s 50s, 60s and 70s and beyond that I mean for us these are that's the playlist of our youth. You know, um, I recently saw the current version of Jefferson Starship with David Freiberg and Donnie Baldwin, who was a drummer in the Starship, who had also come from Elvin Bishop. And, you know, they did every hit song through the entire catalog, from Airplane to uh, Jefferson Starship to Starship. And they have an unbelievable lead singer out of Chicago, Kathy, um, well, I'm going to, Kathy... I'm going to forget her name now. She can sing Mickey. She can sing Grace. She can sing Janice. It's just unbelievable. And it was so enjoyable to see the catalog all at once. Really, it was rendered very well. I was very uh, pleased with them.
1: I, I I've never looked back on that to check. I mean, was that not the case? Like, by the time Starship happened, like, did they, how did they look upon the two previous iterations of the band by that point?
0: It was not looked upon well when Paul Kantner left the band in the internal disputes in the mid '80s. Um, David Freiberg left with them, and then shortly thereafter, uh, Pete Sears left, and they kind of split. David went off with Paul, and Paul. Uh, put his own band together. Uh, there was a short-lived airplane reunion at the end of the 80s with Jackie Norman, and Grace, and Marty, and Paul, and that did nothing uh, except as, you know, a moment of nostalgia at the Fillmore. And then um, and then Paul put his own Jefferson Starship band together and started touring, and there was a lot of animosity between the members that he would, uh, did that, you know, Because they had made a legal agreement that no one would use the name Jefferson. And, of course, he did. And it doesn't matter if you get the legal, if, you know, legality is on your side. You can't enforce it. How do you enforce it? I think now how they've worked it out is that the other members of the previous bands who wrote those previous hits, like Krejci so get a little bit from every gig, which I think is fair also.
1: Yeah, yeah. People... It took us a while, but I do. Yeah, I agree. People seem to be figuring that out as we go further and further. I also want to point out, you know, once those 90s hit and and you eventually do make your own festival, but but just being so ingrained in that San Francisco scene that you see the beginnings of Counting Crows. Oh, yeah. Third Eye Blind.
0: Because once I left the starship, I had done it. I had started at the top, for Christ's sakes. So I completely turned my focus around to the beginning and the new bands. And I uh, started producing showcases of unsigned talent bands in san francisco la seattle portland and counting crows was one of the first big successes they had 11 offers from record labels the next day and they had been kicking around in various formats for a while in san francisco so um they were great third eye blind Four non-blondes there were so many, uh, I don't know if you know this guy, Chuck Prophet, who's still I know playing. Chuck very well, right. You know, he's still playing all the time. He's still touring all the time. These were like unsung heroes. And so I felt I was very lucky to work with them. And that's how I became the godmother of rock in San Francisco, because I have these kids. Coming into my office, and they'd be all wide eyed because I'd have all these gold records on the wall. And, you know, I was always just talk very straight to them. I was always very upfront about the business and what they need uh, to do. So
1: I know it's easy to say in retrospect. uh, How often did you, could you, could you see? that this band was special, that they're going to make it. Because I'll also point out a very young Beyoncé is also a part of this uh, situation. Oh, my God.
0: I forgot about it. see I forget more than I know. Uh, that was an R&B show I did in San Francisco. And the record plant, the owner of the record plant at the time, was producing a demo of these six girls from Houston. And they were called Girls Time, T-Y-M-E. And they uh, after they were on my showcase, they also went on to, uh, there was a talent show at the time. Star Search, I think it was. Anyway, yeah, they came and they played and um, people liked them. But, you know, the problem was they didn't have management. Each parental unit managed their daughter and so no record company no one wanted to deal with five sets of parents right so then they went back and then you know they went to star search i think got to the finals but that didn't happen and then you know it all took it all started to happen when Beyonce and another one of the late, and then they became destiny's child and then her dad took over
1: yeah that's what i mean like do you like When you saw these groups, did you see that these were a little bit more special than the other ones? Could you You tell?
0: I um, I, I just have always had a good nose for excitement and what's next and i look at the crowd to see how the crowd's reacting and it's really i i never really wanted uh bands that were just starting out you need to you know have a show have a repertoire know how to get up on stage know how to entertain the crowd and i would look at the crowd reaction it was never about record sales or ticket sales i mean but, you know, I always said if you can attract the girls. Then you can attract the guys because the guys will go wherever the girls go. So it wasn't really a complicated scientific process. Right. It was just always a gut feeling, and they had to have a you know somewhat of a body of work that they could play. They had to play. Uh, my shows would they would each get twenty minutes, and you had to just go bam bam bam, do your best stuff, and get off because no A guy is going to sit through a two hour you know so. Um, it was just, a. there was so much creativity. It was, it was so much like what I'd missed in the sixties, except it was in the ni- eighties the and the nineties.
1: Yeah. Well, again, it, uh, it makes for such a compelling story. And what's interesting about this is all the stuff that we were just talking about makes up the first half of the book. There's a yeah. whole second half where yeah. you turn your life around and go in a yeah. completely different direction.
0: You know, it's very interesting because I, the reason I wrote it was uh, to put both of them together because some people have told me that it's two different books but everyone's life is a journey full of contradictions and the things that attract us in our 20s are not what attracts us in our 50s. I wanted to show my journey as a regular Louisville gal Here's my story. And here's and it's everyone's story, though. Maybe you didn't play. Maybe you didn't get into rock and roll. But everybody has a story of where they really want a career in a field and they get that. And then they parlay that into something bigger. And then they realize that, hey, sometimes it's just time to move on. And it's a spiritual journey, it's a moral journey. I mean it's all these but it's something everybody relates to and it's funny. I have several music uh so many music business friends, and so many of them said, "Oh God, we bought the book so that we could you know read about." our old adventures, but it, they go, it's really the second half of the book that really touched us. And everybody comes with a rock and roll. And that's, I love celebrating it because it was such a special time. I have nothing but love for my time there. But um, then we move on. And I'm very happy with where everything took me. I feel very grateful, Kyle. And I even got to kiss Muhammad Ali in the process of my rock and roll life, and I'll go to my grave
1: with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's something I'll never be able to say. I've never kissed Muhammad Ali. <laughs> I can go visit him. Yeah, if you uh, visit him
0: at Cave Hill.
1: Yeah, go visit him at Cave Hill. It's about the closest I got right now.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Seriously, I'll show this. Getting confession stories to rock your soul. It's such you can a get great. It on
0: Amazon, my website.
1: Yeah, Nadine, thank you so much for taking the time to write this, but also for taking the time to talk today. It's been a real pleasure. It's so
0: much fun talking to you. Thanks.
1: My thanks to Nadine Condon, Confessions, Stories to Rock Your Soul. The book, the memoir, is out now wherever you buy books. Thanks to Nadine. Thanks to you for checking out the episode. Please do hit that subscribe button before you get out of here. Again, uh, three new interviews sent your way every single week. New and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at Spotify and Apple Podcasts, NPR, WFPK.org. Consequence, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from, you can subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. And then after that, head over to WFPK.org. Let's try to do a show Monday through Friday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. You get four hours of classics, 80s and 90s, lots of that. You get the best in new music. There are bonus interviews, uh, lots of uh, music news as well. One of my recent episodes, my recent shows, featured the music of Susanna Hoffs, Prince, Supreme Beings of Leisure, Brittany Howard, The Stills, uh, Saint Vincent, Kaleo, Brittany Davis, Eddie Veteran, Neil Young, Fleetwood Mac, Rancid, Warren Zevon, The Red Clay Strays, Simon and Garfunkel, Portishead, Counting Crows, Chartreuse, Margaret Glaspie, Tame Impala, Janelle Monae, Liz Fair, Grace Potter, The Black Crows, Bob Dylan, Wilco, The Rolling Stones, and my interview with Jack Antonoff, the uh, super producer behind Taylor Swift and Lana Del Rey, uh, as uh, we did talk about his new album with his band Bleachers. Again, just an example of what you hear every weeknight, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern at wfpk.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on any of the social media spots. The, uh, the address is always the same. It's at Kyle Meredith. So I do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network.
0: It's walking around, you know, as a woman in the business, it was walking around all those concrete floors and coliseums and arena and high heels, guiding
1: people to and fro. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media.